live every weekday at noon and then as a podcast. This is MoneyWeb at Midday. I'm your host, Jimmy Moyaha, standing in for Jeremy Maggs with 30 minutes of express news on the latest developments in South Africa and around the world, including interviews with business and political leaders, prominent newsmakers and top commentators. On the show today, we take a look at the latest uh, plans by the government to audit Spaza shops. Uh, we speak to the Freedom Front Plus around the Tswane workers and government negotiations that seem to be back on the table regarding that wage dispute. We take a look at Transnet's debt relief request to the government following their uh, Following the midterm budget policy statement, Transnet has put through another request to the government for debt relief assistance on that 135 billion rand debt bill. And then we also take a look at calls for government to urgently address socio-economic challenges by the Budget Justice Coalition in response to that midterm budget policy statement. Top stories to keep your eyes and ears on. The recent increase in the Spaza shops uh, complainants and uh, developments around the selling of expired goods has sparked the interest of government and they intend to resolve the problem by potentially having audits put in place as well as having traditional leaders and municipalities keep records of foreign nationals in their communities. I'm joined on the line by Sharon Ekambaram, the head of a refugee and migrants rights program at Lawyers for Human Rights to take a look at this. Good day Sharon, thanks so much for the time. What are your thoughts on the government's plans? Is this the way to go or is this simply shifting the blame? You know, I just want to take a step back and I I see that the minister in the presidency reported on a workshop where they spoke about the effects of illegal immigration and involved in this was traditional affairs, human settlements and home affairs, small business development. But it's striking that there's been no formations of organizations on the ground like the South African Waste Pickers Association the South African Informal Traders Association, which are all working on the ground to assist and organize themselves in the informal sector. And I think it's very concerning for me that that this kind of decision gets taken without proper engagement with the community once again. And I think in that context, it's an ill-informed decision. It smacks of scapegoating and uh, blaming. And it's based on absolutely no verified information and research. The fact that we talk about illegal immigration without understanding the context and the failure of the very Department of Home Affairs to provide access to people who are struggling to get documentation in this country is the first point that demonstrates just the wrongness of of this decision that, that the government is taking. Sharon, let's look at the possible implications of this audit that's being proposed. What would that potentially do to those responsible for the audits and those that are being audited? So, so firstly, if it's only targeting spaza shops that are owned by foreign nationals, then it's unlawful, it's unconstitutional, and it should be, uh, it will be challenged. It's uh, based on discrimination. And we have challenged at a local government and provincial government level Many of the proposed policies, like the Gauteng policy that was uh, looking at, at in, informal work, which wanted to exclude foreign nationals from this, the Township Development Bill, and through our challenges, and, and those, those exclusions were removed. 
But I think in general, when we're talking about the risks that we know are very prevalent with selling of food, the importance of ensuring the quality of that food is proper standard, then this should be a procedure for all outlets that are selling food, including food manufacturers. And we know of uh, the, uh, the what happened with Listeriosis and, and Tiger Brand. And I just want to give you a fact to show that if you're coming up with this kind of announcement that you're going to be auditing all informal, and, and I'm hoping that it's all uh, food outlets, uh, in Gauteng alone, there is a massive shortage of environmental health inspectors. So in Johannesburg, there is one official responsible for checking food sold to every 26,000 people. And in Gauteng, we have a population of over 15 million people. So you can't make this statement. It's very unclear. It smacks of uh, divisions and, and, and xenophobia if you're under the impression that it's only people who are foreign nationals that are selling food that's expired or that are selling food that's not of the proper health standards. And then the second point is, what? why do we not in this day and age have adequate numbers of environmental health inspectors that can that should have been doing this anyway as a routine across the country? Sharon, should traditional leaders be allowed to keep lists of foreign nationals? Would this not fuel uh, more xenophobic attacks in future? Well, I mean, of course it will. But it's also a big question on the competence of traditional leaders to be verifying documentation, to be identifying foreign nationals, or whether they're migrants, refugees, asylum seekers, and would have relevant documentation depending on their status. And it's, as it's, it's totally unlawful to have traditional leaders doing the work of police and immigration officers. But finally, I think we need to acknowledge that traditional leaders, there is vulnerability to corruption, their autocracy is in question, and the continued marginalization of women, these are serious concerns that must be considered if you're giving this kind of authority to this body and unleashing it on, on communities. Sharon Ikambaram of Lawyers for Human Rights, thank you so much. MoneyWeb at Midday, for all your up-to-date stories. Twenty workers and the government are back at the negotiating table in an effort to resolve the three-month-long uh, wage dispute that's been ongoing. I'm joined on the line by Freedom Front Plus's Dr. Corne Mulder. Dr. Mulder, thanks so much for taking the time. Where do we stand on the matter? What offers are currently on the table and what's being reviewed at the moment? Yes, I think we are in a very sensitive situation. You will uh, understand that we have, have we had this strike basically now for four months which is not the best situation at all. Um, we are desperate as a coalition government, obviously, to service the citizens of the city of Tswane. And this, there's the, now this dispute. So what's happening at the moment is that there's an agreement that the whole issue is now in front of the CCMA. And the, the coalition government is committed to that process. We don't want to cause any problems in that process. We want it to succeed. So it was agreed, basically, that the CCMA, to protect the process and the credibility of this process, that the CCMA will be the only one able to make any pronouncements in terms of where the process is at the moment and where it is developing into. And we, from the coalition government side, has agreed not to say anything in terms of that, in terms of the details of this whole process. 
But we are very optimistic and uh, we believe that we can, can take this forward. Dr. Mulder, what are the core issues that need to be addressed as part of this process? I mean, labor stability is obviously one of them. Yes, absolutely. There are basically two very important things, and I think that speaks to a lot of common sense for everybody involved. The one is <clears throat> the current coalition government, the term will still go on till 2026 when we have the next local government elections. And it's very important from our perspective that we do need labor stability in the city. And I think everybody would agree, the unions should also agree that that is in the best interest of the citizens as well as the um, unions themselves. So on the one hand, it's a whole question of labor stability. But on the other hand, <clears throat> we also have to look at the financial position of the city of Tswane and to make sure that that is sustainable, um, taking into consideration all the realities in that regard as well. Dr. Mulder, the previous Tswane mayor, Silius Brink, had mentioned that this increase was unaffordable um, and you've just alluded to the city finances as well are the finances in jeopardy is there re- is a cause to be concerned there or is it more just about responsible uh, management of the finances well, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> I, I, well the fact is that it is known that there is some financial constraints in the city that is quite clear because of various things in terms of the government that we basically inherited when the coalition came into power in november 2021 so there are financial constraints, and the city is working on that, obviously, <clears throat> and we are taking that into consideration because whatever comes out of these negotiations, and um, I'm optimistic that the CCMA will communicate when the time is there, um, we also, as, as I've indicated, have to take into consideration the sustainability on the long term for the financial position of the city. That's that's element, obviously. Dr. Muller, where to from here? If the CCMA is unsuccessful in resolving this, what other um, steps and plans has the coalition government got that they can explore? Well, I'm an optimist. I honestly believe that there will be a way forward, but let's give that process a chance to succeed. Mm. Um, The reality is that there was a legal process before we started the CCMA process. There is a legal process that is also still a reality. And in terms of that, there was an appeal by the city in terms of certain previous judgments that were given in terms of the labor processes. There was an appeal to the Labor Appeals Court. But obviously that is all on hold at the moment because the CCMA process needs to be given the spectrum and the time to, to see if we can resolve that. Hopefully, I am optimistic that we will resolve that. I don't want to think beyond that at this stage. What are the interim solutions while the negotiations are underway? Uh, will services be resumed? Will, is everything on hold pending the outcome of this? And if that is the no. case, what, what are the timelines? No, no, everything is not on hold. Um, the city government is committed to continue with service delivery. It is strained at the moment because it's difficult, obviously. Mm. But um, the, the, we are cooperating from the city side to do the best we can under the circumstances. And uh, I think we've succeeded to a very large extent. But we all realize that in the long term, we need labor stability. And that's why this process is taking place at the moment as well. Dr. Mulder, without commenting too much on um, the actual process and, and the pronouncements that you're unable to comment on, uh, is, yes. the, is this a, a, a multi-year negotiation that's happening or th- that looks to be secured? Or is it a f- priority to first then get the grievances aired and resolved before looking at sort of a multi-year solution? Unfortunately, I don't have the details of that discussion at the moment. I would speculate. But I, I would think that the emphasis would be on the current impasse um, to get that done. Um, and, and obviously, if that is successful, then obviously there could be a further processes, I guess. All right. Well, the hope is that the uh, negotiations are resolved uh, as timelessly as possible. Uh, 
we do absolutely need these services back on track. Uh, Thank you so much, Dr. Corne Mulder of the Freedom Front Plus, giving us a sense of the latest developments around the Twane workers' negotiations with the government uh, regarding their wages. You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. Transnet has once again come back to Parliament requesting assistance with its debt, uh, with its debt rather. They're requesting relief uh, of the 135 billion rand that's sitting on their balance sheet, citing, uh, according to the chairman, that this is part of the uh, essential requirements in order for the turnaround plan to be able to be a successful one. Uh, I'm joined on the line by the chief operating officer at Thelo DB Oliswa Gonjeni Molotwa to take a look at this clearly so thanks so much for taking the time treasury was very clear in the midterm budget policy statement to say that the turnaround plan would have to be investigated before more money was being put towards a transnet what is the board saying to to the to parliament in this latest appeal hi good afternoon and thank you for inviting me to the call um so i think with everything that has happened the situation is actually being arrested with the board having announced the recovery plan. And I think you've also heard in the news that there's the National Logistics Crisis Committee, which has been working with other stakeholders like your mining sector, Operation Volingela, to come up with a, a, a transition plan to turn around and also stabilize transit. So with the plan that has been put forward, You'd also know that there has been significant underinvestment in Transnet for many years, which has led to the underperformance of the rail sector and impacted the country as a whole, including the mining sector. So part of the plan really is to look at deep diving at the recovery plan that Transnet has for them to come up with an operational plan that any potential investor would have to see how the money is going to be spent and which are the crucial crucial areas where they would need to focus on. Clearly, so speaking of money being spent, Transnet just this week announced that they've been able to roll about 7 or 8 billion rands worth of debt to March. Um, the rolling of the debt, even at a, at a basic calculation of about 8.25% on that eight on that 7 billion, that's additional financing of around about 200 million rand, or just under 200 million rand, actually, uh, at 8.2%. Is it sustainable to keep rolling debt, or is this just kicking the can down the road? Because the same Transnet board has said that they're unable to maintain or keep up with the interest expenses, and rolling debt surely seems like just perpetuating the problem. Right. Um, We need to also just look at Transnet, first of all. Transnet is a crucial asset for the country, for SA's economic growth Absolutely. and even regional trade, right? And as a nation, I think we need to stop isolating it, isolating it as a transmit problem, but we also need to galvanize and save and, and work together, collaborate. I think the DFIs have shown interest as well that they would like to participate. The mining sector has said they're willing to come in. Private sector, commercial banks, everybody's willing to come in. However, we can't keep throwing money at the problem without reforms or reconfiguration of the organization. So part of the plan would probably be to have an FTV that would be dedicated where it's ring-fenced around the money and you reorganize the structure and start to prioritize some of these projects because just throwing money without a proper plan on how the turnaround strategy would work 
So typically, what would need to be looked at, Transnet has identified the key constraints within their operations from a rail and a port's point of view. So with the lack of investment over the years in the infrastructure, yes, you can get the infrastructure running, you can get the rolling stock running, but if you haven't addressed the structural issues within Transnet and redesigned the organization in line with the reforms that have been mentioned, then you're still wasting time, essentially. Clarissa, how do you achieve this and is it realistic given that, as you rightly mentioned, private sector, everybody else is willing to come to the party, but there seems to be a certain level of resistance from uh, the shareholder side of it and a lack of a willingness to make a difference here? I, I wouldn't necessarily agree so because part of the reforms that have been announced from a government policy point of view is that, first of all, from a transnet freight rail point of view, They have started with open access, which is introducing competition. There is talk of concessions. So it is basically starting to open up and include private sector to some extent. And also from a transnet point of view, I'm sure you've also heard that there is vertical separation that is happening at transnet, where now you will have an infrastructure on the side and operations running on the other side. And there's also been um, announcement of the transport economic regulator which would look at how does private sector access in a fair and competitive manner the network that is currently owned by government. Once you start introducing those structures, there's a lot of case studies that we could look at where countries where you had the national rail operator who was the monopoly, and when they started introducing Um, third-party access or competition by private sector, it started to improve the efficiencies and the throughput from an operations point of view. So we are seeing some reforms happening in the port where private sector is also getting involved and in rail as well. So I think maybe in the short term, there needs to be a decision from a government point of view that how do they implement the policy that is talking to vertical separation and also to give reassurances to the crowd funders who are very interested in coming on board in rescuing Transnet because we understand it's a national asset that we need for economic growth, there needs to be some reassurances that this would be ring-fenced outside your traditional Transnet structure where you can have a board that is appointed by typically the finances and others so that they can have transparency and see some level of governance and accountability within that structure. What do we do with the short-term solution for the CRRC contract? That contract, as a result of the complications that have um, arisen there, has led to effectively 25% of the Transnet fleet now considered be long-standing. So how do we resolve that? I think the minister was um, he has mentioned that you know that, that conversation is still happening with China. But I think they are also looking at alternatives of um, spares and other OEMs who could come in to save Transnet from a an alternative point of view. But again, it's a political discussion. I would rather not be embroiled in a political discussion. But I mean, from a technical point of view, Transnet will have to make a plan. And I think there are other OEMs who could step in. And also there's a, a talk of Transnet looking at leasing some of the rolling stock that is required to augment the needs that they have currently.
Well, we'll see if we get more of an update than the one we have from the minister who has said that there seems to be a gridlock that they cannot get past and there seems to be nothing that they can do. The goalposts are constantly being shifted uh, according to Minister Gordon, but we'll have to leave it at that. Thanks so much. Kloliswa Ngonjeni Mlotwa of TeloDB giving us a sense of the transnet developments, especially as they request a debt relief. MoneyWeb at Midday for all your up-to-date stories. Several organizations have been providing their feedback in many forms to the midterm budget policy statement that was delivered by our finance minister uh, not too long ago. And one of those organizations is a Budget Justice Coalition. Uh, they've tabled proposal on... Th- how they feel the economy could be turned around. I'm joined on the line by Budget Justice Coalition's Zimbali Mube to take a look at this. Zimbali, thanks so much for taking the time. What have you proposed in your submission? Thank you so much for having us. So as the BJC, we put forward that the current medium-term uh, budget policy statement uh, is not in line with the Constitution. We're saying that thing that the government need to essentially orientate the budget to target unemployment, poverty, and inequality, because these are the key challenges that are facing the South African society. Since 2012, we've seen that the National Treasury has basically targeted a stabilizing debt. It has failed at that task because year in, year out, uh, it estimates when the budget deficit and debt will stabilize through its policy of fiscal consolidation, which is essentially cutting expenditure to key public services and economic infrastructure. And so that hasn't materialized and growth hasn't uh, materialized. So we're saying that it's time now that we actually see uh, expanded spending into key services such as healthcare, such as education and economic infrastructure. And these are essential uh, to stimulate demand in the economy and to also uh, in the long term develop human capital development. What we're seeing in this budget, for instance, just to highlight uh, the key programs, when you look at the SRD, which the president himself has admitted that it has help millions of people, over 10 million people. It's seeing a cut over time. It was initially allocated 44 billion in 2022. However, uh, the the adjustment in the MTBPS is now 33 billion, and that will only allow it to be paid to about 7.5 million people. And so we're saying that this should be expanded to the food poverty line of 760 and then government should work with stakeholders to essentially uh, chart a way forward on the universal basic income grant as a sustainable mechanism to support those who are unemployed. And then secondly, we're saying that when it comes to gender-responsive budgeting, which is a program or a framework that uh, has been developed to ensure that our budget is in line uh, with gender equality and it actually uh, ameliorates gender inequality. We're seeing that this budget is actually at odds with that. Um, last year, the minister announced that gender responsive budgeting guidelines are being developed. However, we don't know what is the feedback on this or where the status of the 
guidelines are and as civil society we would like to be contributing in this process of developing these guidelines. Zimbale, you mentioned that the midterm budget policy statement is at odds in various respects, but if we look at the BJC statement, on the one hand, you are promoting that grants become a stable part of the South African landscape, yet you make no mention of job creation, and you also then make mention of increasing the net wealth tax uh, in order to increase revenues. Are we saying that the population of 7 million taxable individuals is enough to sustain the population of 60 million? Not at all. In fact, um, I think that's a key point. Like I said in my opening remarks, I'm saying that we should be targeting unemployment, poverty and inequality. And that's the point of departure. Grants are not a silver bullet to address some of these issues that we are facing, right? I agree with you there. They are just an intervention to ensure that in the meanwhile, people do not starve because we have a hunger crisis in the country whereby even young people have to decide between looking for a job or buying food with the little income that they have. So what we are saying is that these grants shouldn't be seen as a silver bullet to address our crisis. However, they should be seen as a short-term intervention whilst we work on a credible growth strategy, which again hasn't been put forward in this medium-term budget policy statement alongside a, a key public uh, employment program you know what we're seeing is that even on the front of public employment the proposal in the mtbps for instance is to cut down the promising program that is the presidential employment stimulus you recall that last year it received about nine billion however this year we are seeing that it will be absorbed into the EPWP, which is the existing public employment program and the community works program. What is going to happen to these programs, it's not clear to us. And it seems as if the government is actually saying that these programs should be replaced by the presidential employment stimulus. And so we are seeing that programs that are key even in employment creation or in ensuring that people get into the labor market are being pitted against each other where money is taken from this program to the next. And in the long run, that is also not sustainable in and of itself. And this is not isolated just to these programs. However, throughout this budget, we're seeing similar uh, trends, which is worrying for us as the BJC. Zimbali, in your report, your submission, you mentioned untapped uh, pools or or accessing rather untapped pools of public funds. Uh, Which funds are you referring to here? In this particular instance, we've mentioned the uh, Government Employees Pension Fund, which from its annual report, which is due to be published, we're expecting that it will be oversubscribed by about 200 billion. And so given the growth trends that we've we've been tracking, and so we think that this surplus is something that the government can tap into, not as a, a frequent thing that is, is, is done every year when we are, for instance, seeing a budget shortfall, but also as something that we should draw down upon as a temporary measure, right, given the crisis and the scale of the, the challenges that we are facing at the moment. There's also the gold and contingency reserve which essentially tracks foreign exchange movements and gold. That also has about $459 billion 
and it's through the Reserve Bank and the National Treasury. It's money that the government can access immediately. There have been fears that have been expressed in the media to say that we are basically using these as a pot of gold that can just be used for anything. And I think the key thing to say there is that what we are saying is that at this current point in time, these are options that are available to the government. Proposing using government pension funds to continue the state of grants in South Africa. I'm not sure if that's a viable solution, but we'll have to leave it at that. Thanks so much, Zimbali. Zimbali Mube of the BJC giving us their thoughts on the submission they submitted following the midterm budget policy statement. MoneyWeb at Midday for all your up-to-date stories. As we wrap up the show, news you need to know. The African National Congress has opened a case of criminal injury against a businessman, Mtunzi Mdwaba, who accused the party's top brass of soliciting a 500 million rand bribe from him. In a recent interview with the newspaper Sunday World, Mdwaba said his company, Tuja Capital, was on the cusp of closing a 500 billion jobs project with the, the Unemployment Insurance Fund. International Relations and Cooperations Minister Naledi Pando said the government has not taken any decision to expel Israel's ambassador to South Africa. The EFF has informed the National Assembly on Wednesday that they plan to table a motion next week uh, that the government boot out the Israeli ambassador. MoneyWeb at midday, live at noon on weekdays and then available as a podcast. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.